This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking about authentication strategies with Dave Young, IT Director of Web Services at Geisinger Health System. Thanks for joining us today, Dave. Uh, You're welcome. For starters, why don't you tell us just a little bit about the size and scope of Geisinger? We were founded in 1915, so we've been around for a while, and uh, we're a physician-led integrated healthcare system. We span about 43 counties in north-central Pennsylvania and serve close to 3 million people uh, in the region. Our revenues of last year were $2.3 billion. We have nearly 14,000 employees. Uh, as far as our electronic medical record, we started implementing that back in 1994 and launched our first patient portal probably about eight years ago. Today we have probably six or eight portals in total. Uh, By portals, I mean a secured portal. And the main ones are certainly the MyGeisinger patient portal. We have about 160,000 users on that today, and it grows grows typically by a couple hundred users every week. Uh, One of our other big portals is our Geisinger Connect portal, and that's for external physicians. Uh, We have over 3,000 users using that, and it's in over 500 physician practices across our region in Pennsylvania. So in addition to those portals you described, what other portals do you have, and why is two-factor authentication an important element of your portal strategy? We have a health plan, so we have portals for members and providers and employers and folks like that over on the health plan side. That's more out of my scope uh, of responsibilities. But for the two-factor, in our case, two-factor really means uh, key fobs or secure ID tokens uh, is what we use. Basically, we've been using key fobs for two-factor since the mid-1990s for outside access to uh, some Geisinger resources, whether you're an IT person or a referring physician uh, or an employee in general, that, that's kind of our standard. Key fobs certainly are a proven rock-solid uh, means of authenticating users. That's not to say they don't have their drawbacks, but they provide an excellent level, second-level security of something you have over just a user ID and password. Uh, which, of course, is something you know. One of our first decisions was we had to create an access policy, and with that, we had to say, well, if you're coming into Geisinger from the outside and you have read-write access to patient uh, patient information, then we're going to require two-factor authentication. So that's that's kind of what triggered implementing the key fobs uh, out there widely for some of our portals. Okay, so I understand that your approach to authentication is is evolving. Can you describe that for us? Well, first off, user ID and passwords aren't going to go away. Uh, So it kind of boils down to how can you simplify or uh, make it easier to to do the two-factor layer of security that we'd all like like to have with our portals. So with that said, even though key fobs are reliable and a good approach to two-factor authentication, they do have their drawbacks uh, in that they get lost. 
they typically have a three-year battery life to them, so that means they need replaced. Uh, and in general, our physician population, uh, usually they, they don't like to use them because it just slows them down when, they, when they're trying to get into the record. And if they don't have the tokens with them, that can cause problems as well. So, so probably for the last six to eight years, we've been looking at some sort of replacement for key fobs that would be less obtrusive for our users, mainly our physician users, but still provide that good layer of authentication above just user ID and password. And what we landed on was a combination of risk-based authentication as well as knowledge-based authentication that really has been used in the financial industry for some time. And with that, we're also looking at maybe using a person's cell phone as a pseudo key fob for delivering one-time passwords directly to their cell phone. Okay, help us to understand the risk-based authentication and knowledge-based authentication that you're using now. Are you in the early stages of testing both of those, and is it for all the portals or some of them? The risk-based authentication we're mainly using for our physician portal, and the knowledge-based we're looking at, at, at using more for possibly quicker sign-up and registration with our patient portal. And, and what are the status of those efforts? Are those uh, just being rolled out? We currently have risk-based authentication rolled out to a subset of our physician population. I think in February we're going to roll it out to the entire uh, Geisinger Connect community of users, which would mean over 3,000 users. But with knowledge-based authentication, we're just at the point of investigating that and how we might tie that into our patient portal. Okay, so tell us a little bit about how that risk-based authentication works and whether that's going to eventually replace the need for a key fob. Okay, well, uh, with risk-based authentication, it's, it's probably the newest and most adaptive form of security that's out there in the marketplace uh, that we've seen. And basically, it combines hundreds of factors into the mix, such as what device the user's on, where they're located, so their geographic location, numerous characteristics of the users and habits of the user, things like is it normal for the user to be in Pennsylvania logging in in the morning and be in Ohio in the evening uh, logging in to the same portal on in the same day. If it isn't, it could generate a higher risk score. But the end result is that all those factors, those hundreds of factors, get generated into a risk score. And based on that risk score, you can either allow, you can challenge. And by challenge, I mean it's kind of like step-up authentication where you can, you can maybe do knowledge-based authentication at that point, or you know, you ask them a question and, and verify their answer uh, with a challenge, or beyond that, you can deny access uh, if, if the risk score is, is really high. So typically, the risk scores fall in a low, medium, and high risk category, and then based on that, you can do the appropriate access controls that you want to have in place for that. Some of the newer risk models out there, they also tie into a global e-fraud network, uh, which is kind of nice for pinpointing areas of the, the globe that 
may be at higher risk for certain transactions or just activity in general than others. And again, in the, in the end result, it generates a higher risk score. So do you anticipate being able to phase out the key fobs then as a result of using this approach? Yes, that's what we're doing with our physician portal uh, right now. We're in the process of, uh, once we get that rolled out in February, the ones that have a key fob will no longer have to use that. So, you know, our physicians got wind of that. They're very excited about it. And this risk-based authentication should should be less obtrusive than, than having to carry around a key fob. Now, they, they may have to enter a challenge question and answer to periodically, depending on what they're doing and where they're at. But, again, it, it eliminates, in our mind, the need for that two-factor. What companies' uh, risk-based authentication are you using, and why did you select it? We're using RSA's uh, adaptive authentication product and selected it mainly because uh, we've, we've been an RSA customer for quite some time and are using some of their other security products. And there aren't a whole lot of other competitors out there for this kind of service. And, you know, after we kind of got behind the covers of, of, of their adaptive authentication product, we realized that it's really what we want. We want layers of security uh, or what others refer to as security in depth so that we're not just relying on a user ID and password or or something else. It's, it takes into account a lot of different factors and based on that uh, either allows a person in or denies or, or challenges them. Now, is your approach to authentication different for independent clinicians accessing clinical information remotely than it is for employed clinicians and other staff? Today it is different. In the future, we're, we're looking to make it more seamless and kind of getting both of those user populations through the same front door or the same portal. Uh, in today's world, our independent clinicians, which we also refer to as affiliated physicians or referring physicians, these are non-employed physicians, they access a portal, which I mentioned before, is called Geisinger Connect. And then based on the role, their role that's assigned, we have different levels of access to patient data within the portal. So they may be able to have access to the last 90 days of patient encounters uh, for their patients, and that may just require just a user ID and password. But if they have the full access, which means full read-write access to our patient's electronic medical record, then that requires a user ID and password plus a key fob. Now, again, this is all changing based on our implementation of RSA adaptive authentication and risk-based authentication, but that's where we're at today with that. For our employed physicians, when they access the Geisinger network outside the network, so if they're they're at home or at a conference, they access a portal called Geisinger at Home. And, of course, being that they're employed, we have a closer relationship with them, they get full access to the electronic medical record directly. So when they access Geisinger at home, they, they put in the key fob right away to get that access. So it's required at login. And how do you use authentication with your patient portal now, and how might that change? Today, for normal logins to the patient portal, we just use user ID and password. We do require... Uh, and enforce strong password rules made up of, of course, letters, numbers, upper and lower case, and, and all that. 
Uh, we also don't expire passwords for patients. Uh, again, a policy decision we made at the onset only due to the fact that healthcare is a little different than, say, your your banking portal site because for some folks, they may come into their healthcare portal like my guy here once or twice a year or maybe once every other year. Uh, certainly others are in more frequently than that, but you can imagine how it can vary per, per patient or per person in, in healthcare. So we have to adapt to that. We thought if, if we expired passwords, we generate a lot of calls to our help desk and with, you know, over 160,000 users now, we just don't have that big a help desk. Uh, we do provide a process for users of, of our patient portal to change their password online as well as reset their password if they forgot it. Uh, certainly the, the forgotten password is an important piece that we allow, allow our patients to self-service themselves so they can reset their password without calling our help desk. Uh, and it's it's been a it's been used quite heavily. We also, as part of the reset process, we send an out-of-band confirmation letter to the person who's changing the, the password, uh, but we send the out-of-band confirmation letter to the, to the account holder's home address that we have on file. And by doing that and having that out-of-band step, uh, it's been remarkably effective at catching fraud when folks out there are trying to creatively get into someone else's record. We're also looking at wrapping, like I mentioned before, uh, knowledge-based authentication around the enrollment process to get folks in faster to their uh, medical record online. Today, what happens is the user signs up and requests access to their, their own record. And what we do today is we mail out a one-time use activation code to their home address on file. So they can request it online, but they have to wait a couple days till they get that letter in the mail with the, the one-time password in it uh, to activate the account. What we'd like to do is get that down to maybe a matter of a couple minutes by using knowledge-based authentication techniques uh, to shorten that time frame. To wrap things up, what lessons have you learned as your authentication strategy has evolved? What advice would you give to others? Well, with authentication, I, I think the biggest thing is, and it, it may seem obvious, but uh, you need to constantly evolve and, and, and research your authentication strategy. So today our approach is, is layered security and what some people refer to as security in depth. And with that, I mean things like what I call the three R's rules, roles, and risk. And let me explain. The traditional security rules still apply uh, and are embedded in just about all applications nowadays, things like password rules uh, and even smart rules that can do certain things based upon a user's age that may deny access to, to those under 18 to a healthcare portal or something like that. Uh, then there's roles. By that, I mean a user role or categorization of users and access rights based on those categories. So for us, we have patient roles. We have external versus internal provider roles. We have employee roles, health plan member roles, et cetera, and we manage all those roles. And each role has a set of access rights and policies to it. One of the policies uh, on roles that we made was that we want to 
keep the roles separate from each other because a lot of times the roles overlap. Like I can be an employee and I also can be a patient of Geisinger. So we keep the roles separate so that if you lose your employee role, you still have your, your patient role. That's been a good thing for us as we evolved our strategy. And lastly, of the three R's, the risk-based security, I've already kind of talked about that a little bit, but that's kind of a newer approach to a layered security. And the uniqueness of this approach is that it's it's always uh, self-learning and it constantly change and it changes and adapts to the threats that are out there in the online community. So to us, that was a selling point and a, a key a key enabler of why we chose the the risk-based approach as well. And with the three R's that I've mentioned, we're also sprinkling into the mix uh, some some knowledge-based authentication. So I guess to sum it all up, my message would be never be happy with where you're at in terms of authentication strategies, uh, as it always could be better than what it is. Thanks very much, Dave. We've been talking today with Dave Young of Geisinger Health System. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.HealthCareInfoSecurity.com.